Welcome to Optimal Conversations, the podcast where we dive into stories and have amazing life-changing conversations. Our goal, to help you understand what works and what doesn't so that you never have to worry about feeling lost for words again. My name is Mary Wong and I am your host. Well, 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 here we are. It's the Optimal Conversations podcast. It's such an exciting moment for me to finally have this up and running. This podcast has been in the planning for a really long time and I'm so excited that it finally is up and going and I'm able to do what I want to do and get this message out to the world. So what is this message anyway? The message is around leadership. The message is around how what we do in our lives encourages and influences and affects other people around us. So if we are able to model really good conversations and really good deep connections and a caring, kind, compassionate way of being, then we get to influence and help other people to step up in their lives in a positive and remarkable way. And the more that we do that, and we model for them, the more that they then grow and learn and follow and model for other people. And just the smallest change that we make can create the biggest change throughout the whole of mankind. I find that really exciting and remarkable. I've got a fascination for leadership, had it all my life. It started watching TV as a fairly young person. I saw Nelson Mandela on TV and I saw him speak and I went, gosh, what is it that this guy's got that makes him so influential, that makes him stand out from the crowd as someone super special, someone who people really want to listen to, someone who people are influenced by and someone who stood up for what he believed in, even at risk to himself, his own life, his family's lives. I just felt he was incredibly remarkable. And I myself thought I'd like to be able to make a point the way that he does with this calm authority to speak out to people around me and have them actually listen. Maybe that came from the fact that I was the youngest of six kids and I didn't feel like I was very often listened to. Maybe it was because I was bullied growing up at school and didn't feel listened to. Maybe it was because I felt a bit invisible in my life because of the things that had happened to me, because of the things that had happened to my family and the way people treated us. And I don't say any of these things because I'm a victim of them. At one time I was, but I'm not anymore. I'm really a victor over them. I've moved past all of the traumas of my childhood. I've moved past a school principal who branded me a liar when I was 11 and made me feel like my truth had no value, like I had no value, made me feel that I shouldn't tell people when things were wrong and things were wrong on many occasions through my life that I didn't speak out about as a result of that. When I was in my 40s, I got to a point where it all came crashing down. It was after I'd had my second child. I had really severe postnatal depression. Still didn't feel like I could speak out to anyone, like I could let my truth be heard by anyone. And I'd gotten to the point where I didn't think I could continue. And one day when I was ideating, what did I do? How did I go from here? Where did I go from here? And I was ideating very dark thoughts 
a very dark thought hit me. And that very dark thought was, if I left, I'd have to take my children with me. And in that moment, in that horrid, dark, destructive, revolting, vile moment, I realised that I needed to do something about this. So I reached out. I reached out to a psychologist and I didn't reach out for me. I reached out to save my children because if I hadn't reached out, I could have actually hurt them. And that wasn't something that I ever wanted to do. It wasn't something that I ever would in conscience do. And I'm certainly very, very glad that I did because that started my healing journey. From there, I learned to speak out. I learned to say what it was that was bothering me. I learned to ask for help when I needed it. And I came out the other side of that postnatal depression, which included a degree of post-traumatic difficulty because of the various things that had happened when I was younger and through my journey as I grew up not speaking out about things that had snowballed out of control and possibly wouldn't have if I'd only spoken out about them earlier. And I came to a realisation that part of my problem at that time had been that nobody had really modelled for me how to ask for help. My mum had six kids in eight years. She was a child of a depression. Her father had died when she was very young and her mother was a widow. Growing up, the child of a widowed mother was very, very tough back in those days. There was no social assistance program. You just had to deal. So at well, six years old, my mother was looking after most of her siblings. She had four siblings. She was looking after most of them and doing most of the housework while her mother went out to work just so they could eat. That's a very young age to have those kind of responsibilities. 18 months later, mum's little brother got a splinter on her watch. That splinter led to tetanus and he died. My mother grew up feeling responsible for the loss of her little brother. Now, that wasn't her fault any more than any other eight-year-old could be responsible for looking after a small child. He was four at the time. And those sorts of traumas are things that cause problems for the next generation. Again, not her fault. But they caused problems for the next generation because she never spoke out about the problems she had. She never asked for help. She never got help that she needed. She spent her life in a space of trying to do right by other people without looking after or loving herself. And part of that was because she felt responsible for what had happened and she needed to heal from that. So I didn't have that modelling growing up on how to have good conversations. My dad, he was a very misunderstood child growing up. He never was great at expressing his feelings or picking up on cues and clues around what other people were feeling. So I think I sort of grew up in that space of having those as role models. Now, please don't for a moment think that I'm criticising my parents. My parents are amazing people and they did incredibly well. My dad was just a blue-collar guy who drove a truck for the railways and was a forklift driver for the railways for many years as well. And he used to farm on the weekends and he'd grow pineapples and tomatoes and things like that. And that's how he'd keep us fed and alive. So six children was a lot of mouths to feed and he did marvellously well. 
He was a very righteous man. He was a man who'd been brought up very strongly in religious faith and was very much of the belief that he needed to look after the family and bring up the family in a way that made them good and righteous and humble people. They're very much of the belief that humility was next to godliness. You were never, ever praised because we didn't want you getting a big head. So that kind of caused its own problems as well. And these sorts of things, this is what life's about, right? These sorts of things, the things that affect us as we go on in life. They're the things that mould us from children into the adults that we are. So I grew up without those role models and I was growing up learning not to speak to people, learning not to ask for help, learning that the world was a fairly unkind place. Even though in my heart I wanted it to be kind and I couldn't understand how I could make a difference. And when I saw Nelson Mandela making a difference that day, I thought, oh, I wonder if there's a way of making this world a better place. How do you do it? What is it about him? So I've always been fascinated with that concept of leadership and what it is and how we make things better. As part of my healing journey after I went through all the therapies and things and to help me regain confidence in being able to speak out, I then went and learned public speaking. And I did that through an organisation that's now known as Power Talk Australia. It's a not-for-profit organisation that helps people with public speaking and leadership skills. And they do that through hands-on participation and really supportive and nurturing evaluative feedback, lots of training opportunities, lots of opportunities to practice and speak and to grow. And that's what life's about, right? Growing, learning, being open to experiences because those are the things that help us to move forward and feel fulfilled as we change and as we grow. Once I'd done that and started to get more confident in the way that I presented myself, I found this incredible thing happened that I wasn't so scared to share my voice anymore. I wasn't so scared to tell people who I was, what my thoughts were, what I was feeling. And it was an incredible transformation for me. I then went and studied. I studied counselling because I really wanted to help other people who were sitting in that space that I'd been sitting in before I'd gotten all my therapies and things that helped me out. And at the end of studying counselling, I studied business because I wanted to set up my business and I really didn't know much about business. And then a little bit after that, I had progressed into a leadership space in the Power Talk organisation and I thought, gosh, I don't know enough about leadership. I need to learn more. So I signed up for a diploma of leadership coaching and mentoring and it turned out to be mostly a diploma of coaching but coaching was something that I never had any faith in because when I was sitting in severe depression all those years earlier I'd had someone who was a coach tell me that all I needed to do was wind down the car windows drive down the road with the music blaring let the wind go through my hair and it would all come good now that's really dangerous advice for somebody who is virtually suicidal because it only takes one moment of that person going, stuff it, I'm going to do it, when they're driving at speed, for it to actually happen. It was very, very bad advice and certainly not how you heal a deep endogenous style of depression and a depression that's based on trauma. 
I think knowing and understanding the difference between what can be a mental, natural mental health illness and what might be a moment of just feeling down where you can simply snap out of it by changing your state, as many of our church-type gurus are happy to share. I think knowing the difference is really important and being able to recognise when someone's really in trouble and refer them to somebody who can help them is super important at any stage, in at any level in the coaching industry. And I think it's something that in many cases is missing. But there are too many coaches in this world who think that they can just do a little exercise or take a moment and all your trauma is gone. It doesn't go like that. You have to do the things that reprogram your brain. You have to do the things that get you out of that amygdala hijack that holds you back when you're in a triggered moment. There are treatments, there are therapies that help you to retrain your brain in that moment and they're not generally coaching therapies. So I think it's very important. So I made a big study. I did a lot of study, coaching, counselling, various profiling tools, lots of leadership stuff, lots of different intelligences like conversational intelligence. I've done emotional intelligence, done brain dominance theories to help people understand how the brain, each brain works and how you understand and absorb information, how you even give out information. So you can find the blind spots that stop you from communicating and connecting easily with people. And I've done a big study on how to, and not just a study, but lots of practice on how to communicate with people in a way that actually connects, that helps them to feel you're really getting them, like you really know them. And to me, that's very important because until you're able to build trust with a person, you can't get deeply inside of their space where in that space you're able to truly help them. Now, I'm just going to step sideways for a moment and talk about helping people because this is an important thing. It's something that I didn't realise when I first started off is that helping people and rescuing people are two different things. If you really want to help people, rescuing them is not the way to do it. As my guest in the next podcast says, he believes in a hand up, not a handout, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. If somebody is really stuck, you do something to help them get back up to their feet, to help them gain strength and power within themselves so that they get their self-belief back, so that they get their ability to move forward in life back. You don't just hand them something that will tide them through that moment because what will happen is they'll end up straight back down where they were a minute ago. And not only that, you'll be the bad guy because they don't feel like you helped them after all. It took me a long time to realise that rescuing wasn't the way through and it took me a long time to be able to look at people having problems and understand that there were different ways that you could come up with to actually give them constructive assistance. And in a space of leadership, being able to give constructive assistance and being able to help people grow within themselves and become confident and be able to go out and lead in their own lives is a huge part of being able to be a leader. Mentoring, being able to share the value of your wisdom, of your experience, of your lived experience when you're helping someone else through something is incredible. But to be able to recognise that 
there are situations where mentoring's not the moment. There are situations where instead your empathy has to come into play and you have to let them feel heard, valued, respected. Because if you start mentoring when someone's telling you about something hard that they're going through and that's your default, there will be times when people feel invalidated by the way that you're talking to them in that moment. Leadership's such a funny thing. There are so many aspects to it. I love working with people who want to step up into leadership now, possibly because for me my leadership journey took a long time to get where I was and I've done so much work and so much learning around it to help me get out from where I was to where I am now and because it took so long to do all of that and so much money to do all of that, I like now being able to help other people and I guess, to short-circuit that journey for them so that they're able to step forward on that pathway with grace and with ability and with confidence and with just the right balance of ego because too much ego brings you down as a leader. Not enough ego will do the same thing. It will also bring you down. So that balance of being in the middle where you're neither arrogant nor too humble, that little space in the middle where you have enough confidence to say, yes, I know what I'm doing and be able to move forward, but I'm still not so arrogant that I don't listen to what's going on around me. I still have my ego in check enough that I recognise that I have shortfalls. I still am prepared to make apologies when I get things wrong and admit that I get things wrong, right? Because some people think that leadership is never admitting that you get things wrong. Mm -mm. Leadership is being prepared to recognise when you got something wrong, saying, mea culpa, I got that wrong. I'm human. I'm very sorry. What can I do to fix this? How can we move forward from here so that it's not wrong anymore, so that it's right? And how can we use this situation not only to get the best possible outcome for us, but to get the best possible outcome for other people who are following us along the journey and learning from our behaviours and our actions. I believe that life should be an optimal journey. I believe that we have so many opportunities in this life and having the discernment to decide which ones are right for us And moving forward along that path and taking those opportunities to learn and grow and being open to new experiences and new people and being prepared to make that difference, that thing that makes life really special and super, they're the things that make it all worthwhile. So as we go forward in this podcast, I'll probably, at least to start, be dropping an episode once a month, I'd say. But as we go forward in this podcast, I'm hoping that we will gain momentum as I grow and become more experienced at doing this um, because this is a learning journey for me too, right? So as I grow and become more experienced at this, I'm hoping that I'll be able to do it more often. And I'm my plan is to seek out Some really amazing, life-changing people, people who will make all of us look at things a little differently, people who will help us to view the world with more compassion and less judgment because judgment is one of those things that really 
creates assumptions, breaks down trust. It's one of those things that is really dangerous for us in our world. And if we can move forward with more compassion, less judgment, more kindness, more gentleness, more grace on our journey as leaders and as human beings, then the only outcome from that, the only possible outcome from that is that the world becomes a better place. Isn't that what we all want, for the world to be a better place? Well, it is for me anyway. So I hope you'll join me on this journey with the Optimal Conversations podcast where we have conversations with people who've had conversations that changed their life, like our next guest, where we have conversations with people who live life differently and help us to understand how to approach them with kindness and compassion, where we have conversations with people whose family have had historical events that many of us don't understand and that many of us have not seen the human side of, only the history side that we're taught from our textbooks, where we have conversations with everyday people who think they're nothing special but who have incredible, amazing lives, where we share stories of stories. I love stories. Stories are the thing that lights our brains up, that every single human's brain lights up when they hear a story regardless of how our brain processes information. So it's important to me that we share stories. It's important to me that we get to know the people that I'm talking to. So you'll hear me ask them lots of questions. You might hear me ramble on a little too much sometimes, like maybe I am right now. (laughs) Well, I'm human too, right? (laughs) Nobody's perfect. That includes me, absolutely. Nobody's perfect. And life is a learning journey. So walk with me through the Optimal Conversations podcast as we share these stories, as we share these amazing, beautiful people, as we share ideas and inspirations and hopefully as we share a trajectory of growth together. And let's share this optimal journey together. Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Optimal Conversations podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button where you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to improve your ability to clearly communicate so you can step up as a leader, go to optimalcoaching.com.au and book a chat for your chance for an optimal conversation about how we can make that happen. This is Optimal Conversations and I am Mary Wong signing off for now. Keep talking.